0: All right, good morning, 10 a.m. How we doing today? Wow, feeling good. We don't have any worries. That's good. I better change the topic of the sermon, actually, if we don't have any worries. If you don't know me, my name is Sean. I'm super excited that you guys are here. Oh, okay. Sure. Stop, really, please. Stop, really. Um, thank you very much. I'm glad to be with you guys. And we are going to be continuing on in our Life Swap series, like Kelly talked about, And all throughout the month of June, we are looking at the life and the teachings of the Apostle Paul and what he has to say about living out our authentic selves, our true identities in Christ. And oftentimes, this means that we have to put off some of our old ways, the old way of doing things, and putting on a new life or a new order, a new way of doing things. And last week, Pastor Jeannie talked about one of the most important life swaps we can make, which is swapping shame for worth that too often we can let guilt, guilt from others, guilt from ourselves, cause us to feel shame and doubt our worth and doubt what we're worth to God. But what she showed us is that when Christ is in us, shame is no longer on us. When Christ is in us, shame is no longer on us. And we've been using this metaphor of the different wardrobes and clothes, and it's interesting for me to think about because I should be giving fashion advice to no one, okay? (laughs) Okay. I am not into the fashion, my wife dresses me most days. And uh, so we, we got these different metaphors and, and it's hard for me because, you know, Jeannie's up here, she's really good at style. Jarrett's up here, she's, he's a very stylish guy. Patrick's up here, he's a stylish guy. I mean, look, my jeans don't even have holes in them, so I like don't know the first thing about being on trend or anything like that. But we're talking about this metaphor And today, we're going to be talking about an important life swap that we can make, and it's one that is so prevalent for us that sometimes we don't even know when we're putting it on, and that is worry. We tend to put worry on ourselves all of the time. There are different studies that try and quantify how much and how often we worry, but one of those says that we spend, on average, one hour and 50 minutes per day worrying. That's almost two hours a day worrying. That's 13, almost 13 hours a week. That's 28 days a year. I'm pretty good at math, no big deal. It's 28 days a year of worrying, of, of putting this on, because we sure have a lot to worry about, don't we? We worry about you know, that project that we have at work. It has an impossible deadline or a timeline. How am I going to finish that? We worry about whether the train's going to be on time this morning. Am I, I going to get to work on time? We worry about whether there's going to be traffic on 290. Spoiler alert, there is. There, always, <laughs> there is always traffic on 290. We, we're worried about the weather. Should I wear a rain jacket? it? Is it raining? I don't know. Yes? No? Might it's not happen. raining. It might rain. See? We're worried about it. We don't know what's <laughs> going to happen, right? We're worried about what is going to happen. We're, we're worried about our finances. We're worried about whether we're going to have enough, right? We're worried about our appearance, we're worried about our jobs, we're worried about our significant other, and we're worried we're never going to find one. Now, I- I'm not a parent, but I do have a mom, so I know that parents worry about their children. My mom was at the first service today, and I could see the worry on her face <laughs> as I was teaching. It's like, she is worried about what is going to happen. Parents, you guys are worried about how your kids are doing at school, what their future will be like, whether they're healthy, whether they have the right friends, whether they're getting enough sleep, whether they're eating enough vegetables, right, Kelly? The list goes on and on of what we worry about. And these things, these worries don't just stay in our head. They affect our lives. They affect our sleep. They affect our relationships, our our eating habits, our, our job performance. And they even have physical effects, too. Now, I am not a doctor, but I did go on WebMD. And my wife is a nurse, so you combine those two things. I'm basically a doctor. And worry causes these side effects. Difficulty swallowing, dizziness, dry mouth, fatigue, headaches, muscle aches, shortness of breath, and more. Basically, every possible side effect of the drugs we hear about on TV, maybe they're just caused by worry. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, right? All of these things are happening because of worry. And so it begs the question, why do we do it? Why, why do we keep worrying? Why do we put this on every day? One of the things that Pastor Jarrett has taught us is that we often like to borrow from our future possibilities, which make us a prisoner in the present. The things that might happen to us, the things that only could happen to us, make me feel nervous or scared or worried or anxious in this now moment, but... This is not a surprise to God. He knew that we would be worriers. He knew all about this. So he has been teaching us and coaching us about worry all throughout history. And today, the the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at is from the book of Philippians. It gives us a snapshot of how we can get rid of worry, a sign of our old life. And again, I am not a fashion expert, but has anybody seen like the life-changing art of tidying up Marie Kondo? Yes? This does not spark joy for us, okay? We are getting rid of worry. It is not sparking joy, all right? Thank you for laughing at that joke. 8 a.m. did not. (laughs) And they told me to cut it, and I said, no, that's a good joke. I'm keeping it in, okay? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mari Kondo. So I do want to make one thing very clear. I was kind of joking there, but I want to make one thing very clear before we dive in. Dealing with worry is not the same thing as having an anxiety disorder. So I want to be very clear about that because uh, the church for too long has kind of whitewashed over mental health or anxiety and said, oh, haven't you read your Bible? Don't you look at that verse? Don't, Don't worry. Like, no, okay? Having anxiety disorder is different than dealing with worry. So if that is you, if you struggle with anxiety, we want you to know that we love you, that you are welcome here, that we want you to be a part of our community, and I pray that whatever combination of doctors or counselors or therapists or medication, whatever you uniquely need to go on that journey, that those, that type of community would come around you. So everybody clear on that distinction? Yes. Okay, great. So uh, we are going to dive into Philippians chapter 4. And if you have a gray Bible either in front of you, on your armrest, it's going to be on page 953. So a little bit of context about where we are in the narrative of Scripture while you get there. Book of Philippians was written by our guy Paul, and he was writing to a community of believers he had left behind in the city of Philippi. This was a city that had uh, a lot of pride in Caesar. They declared that Caesar was Lord, and it was protected at all times by Roman troops. And so when Paul was there declaring that Jesus was Lord, not Caesar, he experienced tons of persecution, and the Christians that he left behind there Experienced the same persecution there. And when Paul is writing them this letter, actually, here in Philippians, he is writing to them from prison. Paul is in prison in Rome, and he has the threat of execution that is looming over him. And so when we dive into our text today, it starts and says, Do not be anxious about anything. Paul is literally in prison. He could be executed. He's like, I don't have any worries. You're like, Whoa, hold on, Paul. Do not worry about anything. You should know about worries. Do not worry about anything. It feels a little lofty to me. Maybe a preferred translation would be like, how, do not worry as often. I can worry less frequently, right? Yeah. Uh, or maybe, maybe give me one day a week to worry. Everybody hates Mondays. Let's make Mondays our worrying day. That is when we are going to worry, or when things are really hard. And if Paul is saying, don't worry about anything, what do I do if I know that I am worrying? Uh, Some people might even call me a worrier, right? I am worrying. Does that mean I'm doing something wrong? Does that mean I'm a bad Christian? Are there people that don't worry at all? Is that possible? What are we to do with that? And so for those of you that know me, you know when I teach, I love to talk about grammar. Who loves grammar? Okay, wow. Ah. Okay, We got a couple of grammar people. Thank you. Not expected. So uh, when he says do not worry here, Paul is actually using what's known as the present active tense. What it means is that Paul is talking about an ongoing state of worry or a life of worry. We all experience moments of worry, moments of anxiety. These are emotions, nothing more and nothing less. What we see is that it's not about experiencing worry, but what you do with your worry that matters to God. It's not that you experience that moment, but what do you do when you have those feelings? Author and pastor Max Lucado, he puts it this way. He says, the presence of worry is unavoidable, but the prison of worry is optional. The presence of worry is unavoidable, but the prison of worry is optional. And I feel that way sometimes in my life. I let worry become a permanent fixture. My my wife is... uh, working full-time, she's in grad school full-time, and I worry about her all the time, that she is working too much, that she is not getting enough rest. I worry that I'm not going to have dinner ready by the time she's done studying, right? I'm worried about this all the time. I'm worried about my golf game, right? Like, my you know, I can't get that short game down. I, I, I probably worry about my golf game too much, actually. And so I, I'm experiencing these worries. What are we supposed to do with them? Again, we don't have to hide from them. So let's see, let's read on from the text. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. Again, Paul, every situation, first let's do not worry about anything, but now in every situation, this is what I have to do again. There are other literary devices besides hyperbole, Paul. Like, come on, you need an editor. Like, this is a lot to ask of us. And the hard part is that we tend to think that our situations are outside the influence of God. Either my thing is too small, God doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about what's going on at work or this relationship or that I got to make this plain connection, right? We think it's too small. Or sometimes we think that situations are too big for God. He couldn't possibly fix my marriage. He couldn't possibly fix our city that we even if we don't think this way, because when you say it like that, it sounds ridiculous, but we certainly act that way. Rather than inviting God into what is happening in our lives, we put ourselves in our own prisons of worry. So what Paul is saying here emphatically is, no, in every situation, you need to bring your request to God. All right, second grammar lesson of the day, okay? When Paul uses the word but here, B-U-T, we have to pay attention to that. Anytime you're reading scripture, you see the word but or and, you want to pay attention to it. We've been taught like to speed read and skip over those words, right? No, you want to pay attention because in the Greek, this is what's known as an emphatic negation. And what that means is that everything that comes before the but is solved by what comes after it. So everything, if you want to figure out how not to worry, just go to where I'm going to tell you here now. It's literally the strongest way to negate something. So this is where Paul tells us how we are to not worry. He says we're to bring our worries to God, and he talks about a couple different ways we are to do that. And the first one's just through general prayer, how we inform God of what we're feeling, of what we're experiencing, to express our emotions to him. Say, God, this is how I'm feeling right now. I'm so tired. I am so upset or angry or frustrated or worried. And the second way we're to do that is through petitions. Now, that's not really a word we use all the time, petitions. We think about it when someone wants you to sign something, but petitions are are, are a specific request, how we express our needs to God. So what are the specific things going on in my life that are causing me to worry? How can God meet me in those situations? And this one has always caused me a little bit of a philosophical dilemma because if God already knows about all of the things that are going on, Why does he need me to tell him about it? Like, don't you know already? Doesn't he know those things? And the answer is yes, of course. Of course he knows about them, but specific requests actually help us in a few ways. Because first, they they show us how serious we are. And we know this from our own lives, actually. Um, When you want to hang out with someone, if you say, hey, we should hang out sometime, how often does that come true, right? Not very often, right? We should totally get together, Yeah, that'd be fun. No, it doesn't necessarily, you don't actually go and hang out with that person. But if your friend says, hey, can we get lunch tomorrow? I want to talk to you about this. You're like, oh, yeah, all right, I can do that. I I can book tomorrow. One of my friends, Steve, he is actually really, really good at this. He says, hey, can we get dinner next week? I want to talk about X, Y, or Z. And Steve is so serious, he always sends me a Google Calendar invite, too. I'm like, chill out, man. We're friends in middle school. Like... I don't need Google here, right? But I know how serious he is. I know about that he is actionable. And then specific prayers, they also give us a greater understanding and vision of the ways in which God answers our requests. When we ask for something vague or general, it can be tough to know how God influenced it. So we might pray, hey, God, I, would you please bless that meeting I have tomorrow? That's good, that's fine. But if you say, God, tomorrow I have my annual review at 10 a.m., and I'm kind of scared of my boss. Would you help me be calm? Would you help me be courageous? Would you help me be open to feedback? And if anybody knows what it's like to be scared of their bosses, it's me, okay? <laughs> I, I, Kelly is over here. She's an eight on the Enneagram. Jeannie's my other supervisor. She's an eight on the Enneagram, okay? I know what it's like to be scared of your boss. I'm sorry, Kelly. I'm sorry. I love you. I love you. But the, when we are specific, we can see how God shows up. And one example of this was uh, I was talking with our Love Works director, Madeline Holler. She just led a trip to El Salvador. And before the trip, she could have prayed, hey, God, would, would this trip go well? And that's, that's a good prayer. That is a fine prayer. But instead, she prayed different and specific things for each person that went on the trip. So Julian's right here. He went on the trip, and Madeline prayed something specifically for what he want, what God might meet him with on that trip. And so when God did those things, Madeline was able to see how her prayers were answered rather than just, oh, the trip generally went well. Oh, that's fine. But when we're specific in our request, it shows us when God shows up and lets us know that God wants to carry that load for us. And so we're going to continue on. And in the verse, it says, we're to do all of these things with thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, it's a vital and true component of prayer. And when I was teaching about prayer up here last time, we looked at a model of prayer called thanks, sorry, praise. And when we begin with gratitude, it allows us to center our hearts on God, to be grateful for who He is, what He has already done in our lives. And Paul does this too. He says we're to do these things with Thanksgiving in spite of our surroundings. Because remember, Paul is writing in prison, literally in jail. At any day, he could be taken and he could be executed. But Paul knew a simple truth was that what he had received in Christ was far greater than what he didn't have in life. that, that is what allowed him to even present these requests from jail with thanksgiving. And ultimately, what we see here through Paul's language is that the way to worry about nothing is to pray about everything. The way to worry about nothing is to pray about everything. And I struggled even writing those words. It's like, wow, the pastor told me to pray more. Whoo, great insight, Sean. <laughs> wow, how did you come up with that? So good, right? And I get it. I don't want to stand up here. I don't want to give any platitudes. But there is something that changes in you when you order your life based on prayers. Yes, yes. There is something that changes inside of you when you order your life based on prayers. And Paul is going to tell us what that thing here is in just a moment because to pray about everything means that we are in the presence of Jesus. Paul's telling us that prayer is the antidote for worry. Those are on opposite ends of the spectrum. And and he says, what, what happens when we do this? What happens when we pray? He says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We see that when we pray, we acknowledge that God's presence is already here in this moment. And in his presence, we find his peace. So I want you to think about some of the areas in your life that you might need to bring your worries to God so that He can, and so you can acknowledge that His presence is already there. Maybe you walk into work every morning and you dread having to interact with your coworkers. But God's presence is already there in that situation. Or or maybe, maybe you open up your bank statement and you have worries that there is not going to be enough. What if bringing your prayers, what if acknowledging God's presence in that situation is exactly what we need to change our perspective? That as we do our part, the prayers, the petitions, the thanksgiving, God does His part, which is give us peace. We get to put This peace on us, and it's not just any peace. This is the very peace of God. The very peace of God. It's a peace, it doesn't make sense to us. It it transcends our thoughts, it surpasses our dreams, it's beyond our comprehension. Dr. Winfred Neely, he is an author, and he's a pastor, and he talks about the peace of God like this. He says, the peace of God is the awesome well-being the glorious serenity, the inexpressible wholeness, and the inner tranquility that characterize the infinite being of God himself. How about that? The peace of God. It's the awesome well-being, the glorious serenity, the inexpressible wholeness, and the inner tranquility that characterize the infinite being of God himself. So he doesn't just give us peace. He doesn't just give us a taste of peace. He gives us the very peace of God, the same peace of God. And when Paul is writing to this community in Philippi in this letter, he uses a metaphor that they'll understand by saying that the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. Remember, this is a military town. So they are surrounded at all times by Roman troops who protected them from attacks, that even if there were battles or wars waging on outside the walls, that they were protected by those troops. And so Paul's saying, that is exactly what God does for you with his peace. That even when everything around you might be crazy, when your surroundings might be going on, that the peace of God will protect you. That it will guard your heart, it will guard your mind, it will fend off any attacks. If you are going through that illness, the peace of God will be there. If you've lost your job, the peace of God will be there to protect you. And what's interesting about Paul's discussion about peace here. And what happens when we bring our prayers, when we bring our petitions to God, is he doesn't say our prayers or our petitions will be answered. You see that? Our preferred translation is that we offer our prayers, our petitions, our requests to God, and he answers all of those things. He solves all of my problems. He takes me out of that situation. But Paul is very clearly sending a different message here. Now, God may answer our prayers in the exact way that we want him to. He may even change our circumstances, but he also might not. He he might not do that, but what we do know is that in the midst of our worries, when we want to put this on, God says, no, I cover you with this. I cover you with this. Even when it feels like worry, I want to cover you with my peace. And that may not be exactly what you want to hear, but that's one of the mysteries of God. The nature of his upside-down kingdom is we don't know why some prayers are answered. We don't know how some prayers are answered. And I wish I could tell you that God would definitely remove all of the things causing worry in your life or that you would get that new job or you wouldn't lose the one that you have. Your kid wouldn't be bullied at school. All of those things, they may happen, but Paul wants us to see something bigger, something deeper that will change our perspective. And rather than just changing our circumstances in the now moment, he wants to give us a vision of what God wants to do forever. And final grammar lesson of the day, okay? Talk about worry, talk about anxious. The word used here in Greek is a word that's called merim nao. And it is actually a compound word that comes from a verb and a noun. And that verb is to divide And that noun is the mind. So when we are worried, it literally divides our mind. It takes our focus off of God and his goodness. It makes us doubt that he is with us. It makes us doubt that he cares about us. It makes us doubt that he wants to meet us in the midst of our worries. It causes us to divide our minds. But what we talked about before is that God, he's really not that concerned that you experience moments of worry. He's concerned with what you do with it. Where do you take that worry? When you feel that way in that moment, what do you do? What is your response? How do you try and solve it? What do you do with it? How do you sweep it under the rug? How do you try and overcome it? Where do you go with that worry? Soren Kierkegaard was a theologian in the 1800s, and he talks about worry in a really unique and different way. He says, that worry is our best teacher. Worry is our best teacher. Worry, there's something that we all face. It's certainly something Paul was facing. Again, he is writing from prison in Rome under the threat of execution. He is somebody that has a lot to be worried about. Even even Jesus experiences this a little bit. In, In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed three times that God would take this cup away from him. What we see in the life of Jesus, what we see in the life of Paul and their teachings, is that worry can be a teacher in our lives. We all face worry, and what we're unwilling to face, we are unwilling to change. So if worry is our best teacher, worry invites us to face something in our lives. Even in the midst of preparing this message, I had to face my own worries that I, I'm not a good enough public speaker. I'm not inspirational enough. I'm worried I might totally bomb, right? I had to face those worries. So my question for you is what might you need to face in your own life? Have you put worry on in your relationships? Maybe with a friend maybe with your parents, or, or maybe with the idea of relationships. You put worry, I, I, I don't want to put myself out there. I've had those bad experiences. Or, or maybe, yeah, you put worry on in your finances. You're worried, man, this month, I don't, I'm worried I'm not going to have enough. I'm worried I'm not going to be able to pay those bills. Or, or maybe I'm worried it doesn't look like I have as much as that guy does. right? Or maybe you've put on worry with your future. I'm already worried about what's going to happen 10 years down the line. You're you're already worried about that mortgage payment for the house you don't have, right? Or if if you're a parent, you put worry on with your children. Worry that they're not having the experience or what you want them to have. We put worry on in our lives. And so what we see, though, is that if we notice these worries, when we face what we've put on, we can put on something new and that's the very peace of God. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that puts our minds back together. Worry is rooted in the judgment that life will not work out. Peace is rooted in the belief that God is with me and that life will unfold exactly as he intends. Worry is about me. Peace is about God. Worry is about me trying to take control, and peace is allowing God to take control. Worry is about me solving all my problems. Peace is about God meeting me in the midst of my problems. That is what the peace of God is like. And I actually want to tell you a story about that, because someone I know in my life lives out this idea really well. It's my friend Mike. He's been a part of our community here at Soul City for a long time. He's done... All different types of stuff here at Soul City, been on a number of different teams. But one thing he does now is that he's an Alpha leader. He loves Alpha. He gets to interact with all different types of people at Alpha. And in February of this year, Mike and his family got some really, really devastating news. Just completely out of the blue, out of nowhere, Mike's dad, Scott, was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. This was a guy who had been perfectly healthy, was active, was fit, out of nowhere, he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. It was crushing to Mike. It was crushing to his mom, to his sisters, to their extended family. And Mike has been traveling back and forth between here and St. Louis ever since then. And over those four or five hours of driving, you know, Mike would tell you he has been offering up tons of prayers and petitions and requests to God. He's been doing it with thanksgiving. He's been praying for healing for his dad but his dad has not experienced healing yet. And so Mike would be honest with you and say that that's hard. That's hard that my prayers haven't been answered. That's hard that my dad is still going this. But you, what you would see in Mike, and he probably wouldn't admit this because he's a humble guy, but you would see this in Mike, that in the midst of all of this, God's peace has come around him. It's a peace that doesn't make sense with what is going on in Mike's life and his dad's life. That the very peace of God has been the armor surrounding Mike. That as his circumstances have been hard, as his circumstances have been frustrating, that God's peace has met him in the midst of it. And God's peace has met his dad and his family. And that when I interact with Mike now, he's a different person because of that peace of God. Mike is a, like I said, he's an alpha leader here at Soul City, and the people that Mike interacts with at alpha are getting to experience the peace of God because it has come upon Mike, and that Mike has been able to relate to people, to connect with people in a different way because of that experience. And so what I want to do is give us all an opportunity to face the worries in our life today because I believe that God will meet you with his peace. So I want to invite everyone to stand up here. I want us to to try this on for a little bit, and we're going to do an active prayer through this passage. We're going to pray through the scripture, if anybody has heard of that before. I am going to read a few words from this passage we talked about today, and I'm going to pause and give you a prompt for something to pray specifically. Does everyone feel good about that? Right, so at Soul City, one of the things we do when we pray is we take a posture of prayer with open hands. It just a s- signals to God that we are open to what he's doing. So would you pray with me now? God, in this passage, you say, do not be anxious about anything. So I want you to pause, and, and whatever comes to your mind that is causing worry in your life, to tell God how you are feeling about that right now. And the passage continues in every situation. So think through the things that have happened to you over the last 24 hours, the things that are on your list for the next 24. How can you give every situation to God? And it says in prayer and petition. in your own words, God, would you help me with this? Would you meet me here? With thanksgiving that we serve and are loved by a good and gracious God. You can be grateful for what he's done and maybe even get to the place to thank him for the thing causing worry in your life as a teacher for you. Present your requests to God. Be specific. Where can God meet your needs right now? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. That inexpressible wholeness that doesn't make sense. How can you pray for peace in your life right now? Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That even when you're surrounded, that even when things are not going your way, God's peace will protect you. How can you pray for peace in your life in this moment now? And we pray this all in Jesus' name.